Welcome to episode 14 of the Spectrum Lounge. Host Rebecca Theodore Bashan welcomes back BET.com entertainment editor Jerry L. Barrow as they review the Netflix sci-fi anthology Love, Death, and Robots. Take a listen. everyone. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Spectrum Lounge. I am your host, Rebecca Theodore Vachon, and I am joined by one of my favorite guests, Jerry Albaro, who's the entertainment editor at BET.com. Hello. <laughs> so I have been looking forward <laughs> to doing this for uh, about two weeks, right? So we're going to be, we're going to be, um, going through uh, the new Netflix uh, anime series, Love, Death, and Robots. Um, it dropped on Netflix last Friday. So not this Friday, but the Friday before. Um, there's about how many episodes? 18 episodes, um, I think. I can tell you right now. There yeah. are 18 episodes. 18, yeah. episodes. 18 episodes. Yeah. Um, and the executive producers are David Fincher, filmmaker David Fincher. You know him from Seven and um, uh, Zodiac. And also Tim Miller, who directed the first Deadpool movie. So these crazy guys got together and gave us, I got to tell you, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of sci-fi anthologies um, and love Death of Robots. That's my bop. I love it. <laughs> I, I've watched it at least four or five. I've watched at least all these 18 episodes at least four or five times. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, what's funny is I didn't realize it was an anthology when I first started watching it. Because Me too. it just came up on my queue, which tells you Netflix knows how to market things when they want to okay. put a pin in that. Yeah. But mm. I turned on my TV and I saw this, Love, mm. Death, and Robots. Robots, anything with robots is going to get my attention. So right. I started watching it and... I admittedly was a little under the influence, so I didn't really <laughs> grasp what I was watching at first. And then I was like, wait a minute, this isn't when, when Sunny's Edge was over and it went into something else. I'm like, I'm confused. I'm a little lost. And then I realized, oh, this is like the Animatrix. Okay, right. cool. So then I had to reprocess what I was, you know, how I was consuming it. Right. And then I was like, I had to go back and watch everything again. And I was just blown away by most of the episodes, probably about. 10 or mm -hmm. 11 out of the 18 I really liked some I really didn't like and okay. I'll never I'll never watch again yes well <laughs> I, d I said I would never watch them again but when I told when you said you wanted to do the podcast I went back and watched them just to remind myself why I didn't like them mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so um but that, that they'll never get watched again but I was really my, my wife is like, are you watching this again? Every time she comes downstairs, I'm on that couch watching another episode, like probably either between Sunny's Edge, Suits, you know, all right. of them, Three Robots. It was great. So tell me which one you want to, if you want to go in chronological order or you want to. Right. So let's start with um, some of our favorites episodes of Love, Death, and Robots. Um, I'm going to start with my favorite, and I think it's one of your favorites, too. Right. Um, is the first one is Sunny's Edge. What what was interesting is I, I as a quick aside I realized that depending where you are, uh, if you live if if you're in the U.S. or the U.K. depending where you, or Canada, um, Sunny's Edge may not be the first episode. So, really? so so the sequence of the episodes are a, a little bit different depending mm. on which part um, of the country you live in in um, <clears throat> things. But so Sunny's Edge was the very first episode that I saw. Yeah, we need to talk about this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anything that starts out with fighting, if 
fight clubs and 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 pit fighting and robot well, not robot monsters is mm. gonna get my attention and i just love from the jump that they set up this dynamic where we know why Sonny's fighting she's like it's not about money it's about pride it's about you know winning and survival but we don't know why we just feel like it, it comes across like she's just really determined to win which is fine when you're right. fighting you don't you don't need more motivation than want to than to want to win mm. but you already have the the gentleman who bribes her you know it, it's a great you know recurring boxing trope you know every mm. movie you've ever seen there's always the the fighter who's being offered a chance to throw the fight for money and you and she's like no I'm not doing it. Right. And then you get to the actual fight, and that, that makes or breaks any scene like this. Mm -hmm. How good is the fight? You see Sonny's opponent come out. It's this bruising, mm -hmm. brawling, you know, round, I don't know what the, what the creature's name was. Mm -hmm. And then you see Sonny is this sleek, sharp, you know, um, and later on, you, you don't think feminine, but you definitely think sleek mm -hmm. you think you know aerodynamic like right. if you've played fighting games mm -hmm. and, you, and you're going through the character roster you look at you look at the the monster that sunny is and thinking that monster is going to be agile that that monster is going to be fast right and it's gonna you know it's gonna it's gonna hit hard meanwhile her opponent was a slow bruiser mm -hmm. and you're watching this match and from the jump you know she's ripping cutting chunks <laughs> out of the dude and you're like oh this is gonna be that good. fight was amazing <laughs> that fight the, was, seriously the mm -hmm. animation and the cgi that they were using mm -hmm. in that episode was just it, it felt like a video game it felt like a video game on crack um which is quite a few of the episodes as we go on but yeah and they, and they set up a great you know the gender dynamic you got the, the dude on the other side like come here girl and mm -hmm. he's taunting her and he's yeah pelvic thrusting and everything you would expect it was like like right. you said it was like in another conversation you said it was like the the avatar for gamergate you know these, yeah th it's those guys mm -hmm. um that she's going up against and then they start fighting and it's a great brawl mm. and then of course he he cheats you know she cuts his arm off but then his arm turns into a blade has, has a bone blade and then yeah. you, you hear them talking like well, is that legal or is it not legal? You it know, wasn't legal. It wasn't legal. Mm -hmm. And then they, and then um, the scene where he stabs her mm -hmm. becomes so much more significant after you find out why the, the, she's the fighting. Twist. The twist. Yeah. Is that um she was attacked? She was raped. She was gang raped. Right. Well, and, uh, well, in the beginning of the episode. Mm -hmm. So for those who haven't watched it yet, major spoilers. So mm -hmm. if you have not seen Love, Death, and Robots, if you don't want to know what's going to happen. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. No, this is, we're going to, we have to talk about these these right. twists because then that makes the, um, mm -hmm. the reveal that much more significant. So um, <clears throat> in the beginning of Love, Death, and Robots, um, basically it's a dystopian future and there's this underground, it's, it's sort of underground fights where you have these beasties, um, these kind of monster-like things and they're piloted by humans right. that are called they're called pilots so there's some sort of neural interface where they can control the monsters so the pilots are not in the ring they're sitting on opposite sides of the ring and they're controlling their respective beasties in a fight to the death so we know that Sunny has had 17 wins she's gone undefeated right um, <clears throat> and it was <laughs> kind of sad to know that even in the dystopian future, misogyny is still alive and well. Yes. Um, <laughs> not much has changed in that right. respect. And so, you know, the idea that, you know, from what we're understanding, Sunny is basically the only female pilot, um, the only woman pilot in this underground, you know, fighting uh, 
ring that they have. And so um, it does come out in the beginning, like Jerry says, that she was, after um, one fight that she had won about a year ago, um, there were a group of guys um, that kidnapped her. I guess maybe they were the, the losing team. They kidnapped her. They sexually assaulted her. They cut her. And when you look at Sunny's face, you see some of the um, scarring on her face is awful. Because I'm thinking, if it looks like that a year, after a year, I can't even imagine what her what she looked like a year before that. Um, and so we know that she was sexually assaulted and um, viciously attacked. Um, and so, but she's still there. She's still standing. Um, and so she's she's even better than ever. And so there's this recurring um, question throughout the art, throughout the episode where they're like, what is her edge? What makes Sunny so good? Because I remember the, the rich guy who, you know. Put, propositioned her. Yeah, right. who propositioned her to throw the fight. He asked her, he was like, well, what is, what is your edge? He was like, what makes you so special? And she says to him, I'm not special. I'm unique. You know what I mean? And so the thing is, once you find out the twist, you have to watch the episode again because everything, all the, um, you know, uh, the, the dialogue is more deliberate. And we can talk about the fight. Right. <clears throat> Just even the fight between um, the male beastie, right, that's piloted by the, 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 the guy, mm -hmm. and then um, Sonny's beastie is called Cannivore, right? right. Um, who's a she, by the way, because in the beginning when uh, the rich guy saw the beastie in its in its tank, he was like, ooh, he looks, you know, whatever. And she was like, uh, that's she, a she. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, so there's, there's a... So there's gender dynamics definitely going on in this fight, right? right? So I think I was pointing that out to you where mm -hmm. um, there's a specific scene in the, in, in, the, in the fight where it looks like Cannivore has the upper hand, right? And then that's where she cut off his arm and then he, you know, creates that blade right. out of uh, his severed arm. And then he grabs Cannivore and, like, pins her up against the wall, mm -hmm. Right of, of of the arena, and then he's repeatedly stabbing her right. in her lower region with right. this blade, and I was like, "Wow, that is it's very graphic." Very graphic, right. you know. I mean, it's a fight, but to me, it definitely mimicked a rape scene. A rape yeah, scene. Yeah, when I watched right? it, I definitely felt that, especially the way he kind of braced himself against the wall. Yes, and, um, it definitely did that for me too. Well. Yeah, 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 and I was just like, "Ooh, okay, what's that about?" Right. Um, and so, and so throughout the whole fight. Um, the male pilot is kind of like very much into it. Like he's yelling obscenities and he's like, mm -hmm. yeah. Meanwhile, Sunny is just like, she's just sitting, you know, cross-legged and her eyes are closed, like in this very meditative state. Yep. So every, all this chaos that's going around in this fight, she never opens her eyes. She never responds to these, you know, to the guy's insults. He calls her a cunt. He calls her all sorts of things. So it's, it's already gendered from jump. Right. Even before the fight starts, <laughs> right? Um, and then... To see all of that, Cannivore ends up winning. So he has her up a wall. We think that Cannivore is going to win, mm -hmm. um, that, that this beastie is going to win. And then Cannivore, you just see her eyes open. And then she just starts, like, stabbing her with her Because the face of the Cannivore, of uh, her beastie, sort of has, like, a sharp protrusion. She gives him head in a way he was not expecting. He was not expecting. <laughs> oh, and let's talk about how she kills him. She yeah. rips off his head. Yep. Yep. That's phallic yep. as hell. Yep. You know what I mean? So she's just, she rips up his head and she's just like, you know, the See beastie that. is just like waving the head of this beastie, right? right? And so let's get to the twist, okay? So she wins. Um, you know, Sunny's back in is back in her is back in her place. You see, the beastie is in his tank, um, and so uh, the rich guy who 
had invited them to this fight, he basically sort of had like a lover or it was this really pretty blonde girl. And we kind of get the idea that Sonny is queer because Mm. she had been eyeing this girl from jump, right? right? So when Sonny comes back after the fight, the girl is waiting for her, you know, very pretty, very blonde or whatever. And she was like, wow, you were were magnificent, blah, blah, blah. And so we, the audience, think that we're about to get, like, some hot girl-on-girl sex, right? Because, you know, she's sort of like... She just uh, want to fight. She's got her, her creed up <laughs> right right and so she, and then she's like kind of pulling up her skirt pulls mm-hmm. down her dress kind of mm-hmm. shows her boobs and then she and sunny start kissing and then all of a sudden what it's mortal combat fatality stabs her through the head stabs her through the head she has like the blonde girl has some sort of like wolverine type blades protruding from her fingers yeah. and then stabs sunny like right under her throat right right and kind of picks her up off the floor and then that's when the rich dude comes in and he was like are you scared now? Right. You know what I mean? And then mm. those are on the floor and the blonde girl is just stomping Sonny's head. <laughs> and he finds out Sonny is not human. Sonny he was like, wait a minute, how is it that your head is like busted you're still talking? Right. And then that's when we get the reveal. That Sonny is the actual monster. That <laughs> what, who we thought was Sonny, it's just... What it's it's Sonny's body, right. right? We find out that the night of the attack, mm-hmm. Sonny's partners found her, mm-hmm. right? Found the body, but uh, her brain, the the skull of her head, had been scr- had been crushed. Mm-hmm. So I guess they came up with this idea of putting I don't know whose idea it was putting her consciousness in. Yeah. So stuff. now, so Sonny is actually carnivore, right? So this woman that we see, who we think is the pilot, is not Sonny. So to me, it seems to me that carnivore is the one that is controlling right. the sunny human avatar. So it's right. a switch. And right. I was just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and and of course, that is Sunny's edge. The reason right. why Sunny wins those fights is that she's not some passive pilot watching her beastie fight. She is that beastie in that fight. She's so she fighting for her life. She yeah. is literally fighting for her life. And I, I the twist to me took on a lot of meaning um, because once you find out what that is and you watch the episode again, things really click for me. Um, and I think one of the things uh, one of the things that I really admired, like Sunny is like my new hero. I just love her. I wish I could get a tattoo of her. Um, I think one of the things that's so important is that, you know, when we when you introduce sexual assault in any kind of storyline, whether it's a movie or a story, um, you have to be careful as a story as the storyteller as to what is the purpose or what purpose does that sexual assault serve, mm-hmm. right? Or how is that um, how does that form the character and in my opinion when I watch um, Sunny's Edge for me the I, the whole twist of her taking or being in the body of that beast it is really about Sunny reclaiming her narrative right mm-hmm. because she doesn't she doesn't want to be defined by that assault she doesn't want to be like oh that poor pilot that got raped right, last right, year right? Right. And, right and we see echoes of that um, of, of, of that dialogue um, in her interactions with the guy who puts the fight together, um, and the woman who attacks her later on, where she's just like, "Yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to just be like some poor little girl that got raped, and I'm just getting back at the boys." She was like, "It is much bigger than that." Um, and I also think about the fact that maybe one of the reasons that Sunny wanted to be in the carnivore body is that nobody can touch her now. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I'm thinking it might have been too much for her because I'm pretty sure they had the technology where they could have put her body back 
in another to an android or a humanoid body. Yes, right, that looked right. like that looked like her. But it seemed to me that Sunny did not ever want to be that vulnerable again. Mm-hmm. She is just like, oh, because you see that because that that's the thing about as it, it, it to me the episode, particularly because of the fact that it's set in the future. Um, as women, we are vulnerable. We, right. you know, what is what is the? Um, I think one out of three women in their lifetime will be sexually assaulted. You know what I mean? Three, one out of three. That is ridiculous. You know what I mean? And so, I feel that this was her trying to reclaim her power. It's not. It was more than just I'm just going to get back at these guys. You know who did these horrible things to me. But now she wants to empower herself in a whole different way, and. Um, one of the things that the other thing that I thought about with Sunny's Edge is the 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 gender performance, right? And how um, when we think of femininity, right? When we think of women womanhood or femininity, it comes in a certain package. The package being like that blonde girl, right? Right? She looks so sweet and innocent, and then she flipped on Sunny, <laughs> right? And you're like, wait, right, what? Right, right. <laughs> right? And then you know f- when we think of femininity, we never think that women are um, threatening. We never think that, uh, you know, like for a guy, the, the typical guy, no guy walks out his house thinking, oh, I'm going to be attacked by a woman. No. Nope. You know what I'm that saying? That was like a conversation I had with some friends. Um, someone posed a, a question on Twitter Yeah. Um, to women. Like, mm-hmm. if you could go outside, mm-hmm. if there were no men, not like killing men, but if there were just no, if there were no men for like a day, what's the first thing you would do? And nine out of ten of the responses was I would take a walk just to be able to walk down the street without being harassed. And that was so eye-opening for me that, you know, we, we as men, we have the, the privilege of being able to just go outside and no one bothering us. Right. You know, we think about sometimes, okay, maybe in the 80s we worried about getting mugged, mm-hmm. but we're not, we're not actively thinking about going down the street and thinking we might be sexually assaulted or raped or groped right. in that way. But that's a daily occurrence mm-hmm. for women a daily reality that they have to live with. And right. so it, 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 it informs Sonny's decision to literally arm herself. She's like, right. I am going, instead of going back into that vulnerable body, I'm going to be in this body with spikes and tentacles, and I'm mm-hmm. going to use them, mm-hmm. you know, to, to earn a living on right. top of that, you exactly. know, which, is, which is another interesting mm. thing that she's, she's just not being in this body for the sake of it. She's, she's supporting herself by doing this. Mm-hmm. And it made me think about one, one part of the scene I was just running back mm. when she's kind of regrouping during the fight. She's, I think she actually stabbed some of the people in the audience uh-huh. with, with her spikes. Right. And I thought that was interesting that it's not just the people she's fighting against. It's like the people who are observing. I don't know if right. they were the judges or people who were um, observing. Right. But they caught a bad one, too. When she, when well, she, what, what, did people actually die in the audience? I don't know if they died, but she definitely. definitely I did see the, yeah, you, you do see the tentacles. See the tentacles. Yeah, it looked like it hit people. And I was yeah, like, damn, she didn't give a. No, nope. <laughs> don't give a damn She's, at all. You know. At all, and and so when you get that twist, knowing that Cannivore is actually Sunny, Sunny's consciousness mm-hmm. is actually in Cannivore's body. You, when you watch the episode again and you watch the fight, mm-hmm. it takes a whole different meaning. Yeah. Like the fact that 
who we thought was Sunny, the right. human avatar Sunny, mm -hmm. um, when she has her eyes closed and we think she's meditating and concentrating. No, she was offline. Yes. That human yeah. avatar, because she's not <laughs> in that body. She's right. just like, you guys just think that whatever. Mm -hmm. And But I'm right here. And it's right. like what you said, it's about misdirection, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so they were like, oh, we don't, you know, oh, this little girl, she's not going to do anything. Whereas the real danger is in the ring <laughs> and they don't, in the arena, and they don't realize that. And then, of course, the fight with Cannivore and that beastie um, has a different meaning. Like when you revisit that scene when he has her up against the wall right. and he's um, stabbing her, right. to me it really, because at that point it really looked like Cannivore was done yeah. for the mm -hmm. count. But it seemed to me, my theory is that I think Cannivore, I think he was going to win, right. but I think because of the fact that he had her in that specific position, right. I think it triggered something in her. Mm. I think it triggered the night yeah. of her assault. Right. Because you see her eyes are closed. Like, Cannivore right. looks like she's about to die. Right. And then once he's he grabs her, and especially when he holds the, yeah. the wall, yep. and then all of a sudden you see her eyes just open, and I think that just... She was, was like, like, oh, no, not again. Not nope. again. Nope. Exactly. Nope, not this time. Yeah. And then yeah. that's when she fucks him up. Yep. <laughs> I was like, oh, yep. my God. That's the, the headbutt. To end yeah. all headbutts. Yes, and yes. It's, and it's a wrap. Like, yeah. you even see here, like, she's she looks very vulnerable. Very. You know? Very, and very. And he has her, and it's really, mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, it looks like it's about to be a wrap. And yeah. she's definitely triggered. And yeah. then she wins the match, mm -hmm. goes back, mm -hmm. she's ready to celebrate, mm -hmm. and then... She gets attacked by the blonde woman. Mm -hmm. and, her and, and we can talk about the significance of that because I think there was something you said about how that blonde woman, mm -hmm. who we find out is actually working mm -hmm. for the guy, mm -hmm. um, uh, that even women can be agents of the patriarchy. Uh, yeah, yes, right? I, I did say that. Right? Yeah. And I think that is significant because just minutes before when she when Sunny sees her uh, in the room, Sunny is like, well, why don't you come with me? Sunny knows the deal. She was like, or at least this is what Sunny assumed. She was like, why are you even with that guy? Right. You know what I, I mean? And I think that's what endeared the Sunny character to me, is that even though she had survived something so horrific, that she still had this softness and this empathy for other women mm -hmm. that were, or what she perceived to be in oppressive situations. And she was like, so even then, Sunny was trying to reach out to help her. True. And I think that is true, that even in real time, we see women do these things where we see women upholding the patriarchy, that mm -hmm. women who are, um, I don't know, anti-feminist. Let me not say that because you not believe in feminism doesn't mean that you don't believe in equal rights. That, that's complicated. But what I am saying is that there are women um, who just feel that um, by protecting, they, they have this twisted idea that by protecting the patriarchy, they are protecting themselves, mm -hmm. right? They're like, well, I might as well get on the winning team. Or for, for a lot mm -hmm. of the women, it's not about Mm -hmm. the them their gender it's just about themselves about themselves it's about yes. self-preservation absolutely and that, and for that particular woman she's like listen this rich guy is paying whatever mm -hmm. my way even though she herself looks like she could have been a formidable fighter on her own if mm -hmm. she wanted to be but for, for whatever reason she that relationship with the with the man mm -hmm. suited her more right it's akin to someone you know paying the bail of a R&B singer who's mm -hmm. child molester. You know, it's my friend. You know, they use defenses like, "Oh, it's my friend. I'm helping my friend." It's not mm -hmm. about them as a woman yes. or, or a black woman, or you know, it's not about their race. It's not about their gender. They're really just out for themselves. Yes, and ultimately mm -hmm. helping out. You know, mm -hmm. the patriarchy in yeah. 
That was, so. um, and so when you get that reveal that Sunny is carnivore, <laughs> I think the blonde woman realizes, puts two and two too late, and Sunny just puts one of her um, tentacles right through her head. Her right. head just she explodes. Tried she, she tried to run. She tried to run. It's like too late, girl. Yeah. <laughs> and then I love the ending scene. The ending, because that's what I like is like a lot of the dialogue echoes each other. Right. Um, and so he kills, uh, you know, Sunny kills that blonde chick, mm-hmm. and then you see her other bigger tentacle wrap around the guy. Right. And then you see the scene goes black, and then she says to him, "Are you, Are you scared? scared?" Oh, that's so good, bitch! I was like, "Yes!" I was like, "This is what this is to me. This is the women's. This is the feminist." Revenge anthem that I've been waiting for. There's some good ones, like I spit on your grave. Like there's other right, ones, right. but again, I I really feel that they took care. Um, they did take care in telling the story of uh, Sonny's assault. Mm-hmm. They didn't exploit it. I don't think they exploited. It. You never see it. I no. think there's a scene where you see Sonny walking and you hear echoes right. of it, like she has a memory of it. Um, and I and I really wish that more filmmakers um, and writers can watch Sonny's Edge and take notes on that, on how you can talk about sexual assault mm-hmm. um, without yeah. re-traumatizing um, or exploiting it for gain, right? Like, you remember we saw, um, what was that movie? Girl with the Dragon Tattoo oh, when we yes. saw the remake with yes. uh, Rooney Mara. And that rape scene just rubbed me the wrong way. Not that anybody wants to see a rape scene, but it really did feel exploitative. I was just like, really? Like, that's what y'all doing? Okay. You know what I mean? And of course, yes, she gets, you know, revenge on her um, attacker, but it does feel that sometimes that male filmmakers, um, they're really bad at that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah, it's not a good look. But, yeah, I think with Sunny's Edge, they did a great job. And um, that ties in because there's there's a line uh, just before everything pops off when we when we see the, the reveal, right, just when Sunny is kissing this woman um, and she's seducing her. She says something to her where she was like, people see what they want to see, mm-hmm. right, which talks about all misdirection and perceptions, which – Leads us into our other episode that we need to talk about beyond the Aquila Rift. Oh my gosh! Lord yes, have mercy. I love this one. I, you know, <sighs> Star Trek and Deep Space Nine. So we've got this crew mm-hmm. that they're trying to make. Is it a time jump or a distance jump? I think it's a distance jump. Distance so, jump to yeah. another quadrant, mm-hmm. and you know, there there there's some hesitation. Mm-hmm. They got to make sure the calculations are right. A whole lot can go wrong. Right. They go through, mm-hmm. and then when they wake up. Mm-hmm. You know the protagonist. He wakes up. Tom. Th- Tom. Mm-hmm. The the black guy. He's still in his pod asleep. Yeah. And, then and then his, Susie is the uh, his, the the pilot. Yeah. Susie's the pilot. Mm-hmm. She she wakes up and he's met with a woman mm-hmm. who Gre- Greta. Greta. Mm-hmm. And he's like, Greta, is that you? So we're led to believe this is someone from his past that he knows, who's a familiar face. Right. And so then we're taken to to their reunion so to speak mm-hmm. and trying to figure out where they are he's trying to figure out what i like about it is they where he's trying to figure out where they are at the same time we are you know so he's they're trying to figure out how far of course are they um first they find out that they're light years away in another station mm-hmm. and you know they start to panic but of course greta tries to calm him down and everything um, starts to unravel as the pilot wakes up and realizes, wait a minute, my calculations couldn't have been that far off. Mm-hmm. We couldn't be 
where where she says we are. So she's the seed of doubt. Right. So he's pretty much going along, but the pilot is a little bit... Mm, Susie. Susie, mm-hmm. Susie. Susie's like, something doesn't quite seem right. Susie's the hero of this, <laughs> of this episode, as far as I'm concerned, because she's, she's like, nope. She's the voice of reason, because then yes. Tom, of course, Tom and Greta start, you know, do the do. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which was... It's a very graphic sex yeah, scene. Yeah, one of the... I was going to say one of the better... Uh-huh. animated sex scene. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um and of course he after he, you know, they every guy has that moment of clarity afterward. So, <laughs> <laughs> so once once everything's done and you know the blood returns to your head, he's like, "Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Is this quite what?" And he rolls literally in the bed, turns over to Greta, he's like, "Are you really, you know, is this really what's going on? Tell yeah. me the truth." And yeah. then things start to Yeah. To, um, yeah, she starts to give him pieces of the truth, right? Not even the whole truth. She's like, "Well, yes, you are on the station, but we're not quite where we said we were." And mm-hmm. he, she starts to feed him little pieces of information, and um, I'm forgetting the um, the order of things. I think. Mm-hmm. Well, so, they wake up. They mm-hmm. they when they when uh, they wake up Susie a second time. The first time when. They land. Susie gets some sort of uh, space sickness mm-hmm. uh, because she was like, "Wait a minute, where are we?" And so Greta's like, "You know, put her back in the pod, Just give her, her out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give her, give her, give her a couple of days or whatever." And then mm-hmm. that's when she basically seduces Tom, you know, mm-hmm. with all the, you know what, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, but Tom is still like, mm, "I don't know." Um, and so they try waking up, and so they wake up Susie a second time, um, and this is when Susie's like. Mm, yeah something's not right and then she looks at Greta and she was like who is that and then Tom was like that's Greta remember we met her whatever and she was Mm -hmm. like Tom she was like that is not Greta and that's when Susie freaks out and picks up this I forget what she picks up some sort of tube and and goes to attack Greta Greta hits her with a hypodermic needle um, in order for Susie to go back to sleep Mm -hmm. but not before Susie gets a good cut on her neck so mm-hmm. Susie cuts Greta's neck and so they put Susie back in the pod we see Tom back in bed with Greta mm-hmm. but now when the camera zooms in on Greta's neck there's no cut oh see I missed that yeah and that's Ooh. when Tom is like okay ho <laughs> what's going on here you're telling me whatever and then that's when Greta's like okay right I didn't tell you the truth again. I love how she mm. she's just like she's just like <laughs> lie number one, lie number two, lie number three, and then finally right. he was like, she was like, you're, well, you're still asleep, right? right? She was like, this this is a fake, this is simulated reality, and so he you know grabs her, pushes her, pushes her up against the wall, and he was like, listen, I want to see who you really are are. you're not Greta where are we I want to see things for what they really are and she was like are you sure because I've been and she says that she was like I've been through this with countless souls right right and she was like they don't ever like the truth and he was like I don't care I want you to see it. It was like the architect and Neo when the architect tells him, "I've dealt with your predecessors." He's like, "What? What do you mean? Exactly. Predecessors? People Ex- before me? What, what are you trying to talk about?" Oh yeah, there's about? definitely things of Matrix too. In that. <laughs> and so finally, Greta breaks down, and mm. she was like, "Just remember, I care for you, mm. right?" And that's when shit hits the fan, right. and then that's when the veil is lifted from his eyes, and that's when we see that Tom wakes up. Number one, Tom looks like... He's 100 years old. He looks like 100 years He's emaciated. Mm-hmm. His hair, his beard, nothing has been cut. Um, they look like they're in this weird kind of cosmic web mm-hmm. or hive. The, the ship is crashed. He looks over and he sees uh, Susie's paws. Susie looks emaciated. Right. 
I'm guessing she probably just recently died. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other pilot, the black guy that was on the ship, he's like almost a damn skeleton. Right. Which would explain why we never saw him in that yes. simulation because I think he was dead already. Yep. And so I think Susie probably, that maybe that last simulation where Susie freaked out mm-hmm. was probably the last one before she died. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so then he's just like in this, this, this looks like the seventh circle of hell <laughs> in space. And then the camera cuts over to, uh, we start, we hear Greta's voice where she says, hello, Tom. And it's sort of like staticky and broken. Right. And so we look at this cave. We see the silhouette almost the same way we saw Greta in that white right. space suit. Yeah. And then the whole thing comes out. <laughs> and it's a fucking spider, like some intergalactic, gooey-ass. Like, I can't even explain it. It like, looked like one of the monsters from Ender's Game. Did gee, you ever see that? Oh, no, I did Yeah, Ender's Game was good. And the creatures that they fight in that look resemble that oh, to, to a degree. Oh, my God. It had, like, 50, 11 eyeballs on it. <laughs> and I was just like, and then Tom just sees it, and he freaks out he right. screams and then all of a sudden it's a reset and right. then we see him back in the ship waking up from hypersleep so that tells us that now she has created a new simulation mm-hmm. for Tom right. right because I guess the truth was just too much for him yep. and she was like I'm gonna put your ass to sleep again and so now he wakes up and it was something that I told you is that that episode that we saw we don't know which simulation that was that could have been Tom's fifth or 50th simulation that's the creature from oh it looks exactly like that yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. so the episode that we saw where tom wakes up we don't know how many times he's been through this simulation before right because what i got from it is that greta can only create simulations number one if you're alive Mm -hmm. um which is why that black pilot wasn't there wasn't in the, the the simulation before because he was probably dead already right right so now we see for the final the ending uh, Tom wakes up again. He's back in the simulation. Mm-hmm. And then I see, I saw some differences in this last simulation we see before the episode ends. Right. Greta walks in again. She doesn't have anybody with her. When from before when she when he first greeted her, she had like two or three other astronauts or whatever with her. Now it's just her. Right. Right? Um and then if you look when he gets out of the stasis pod, there's nothing to the right of him. So that black guy's not in there. And then the stasis pod that was to the right of him where Susie was, Susie's not in there anymore. Mm. It just has a blanket, like some sort of hazmat thing. It's like she defragged the memory. She's like, yes. I'm going to take out the things that were causing problems from before. Exactly. Like She's course them. correcting yes. the simulations to make them more real. And I also think Susie was dead, which is why she did not bring her back. Right. She removed the anomalies. Yes. Yeah. So, and yeah. I love the, this episode because it plays with the notion of what death is. Because first we were trying mm-hmm. to figure out, is he dead or not? Yeah. And she keeps creating these scenarios that detach him from his reality first yes. it's first it's time first it's distance you are so far away because he was he was asking her well can we get back she's like well you're light years away and you know we we really would wouldn't it wouldn't make sense to try to go back and then time wise mm-hmm. she was like in in normal time it's been like what seven years but in earth time or wherever he's from time it's like been a hundred years so she's already spatially distanced himself from his, the life that he knew Yes. So he has to kind of accept where he is, mm-hmm. which could be deep space, mm-hmm. which could be heaven, which could be hell, could be anywhere. I'm not sure. I and, mean, because, yeah, because every time we watch Aquila mm-hmm. Lift, it's like, he's dead. No, he's, dead. <laughs> he's alive, but he's in a, I'm not sure. But what would be the difference between being lost in deep space and being dead? Wow. 
you know yeah that, that's what that's what I liked about it, it leaves some room for interpret like wow look at look mm. at the that's an ugly ass monster <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're actually playing the episode on, on Jerry's um, on my iPad on his iPad but it's, that's a hideous ass it's creature it's a hideous creature <laughs> So but I don't yeah. think the creature, the thing with me is that I don't think that the creature was evil no. or malicious. Well, depending on your take on it, because there were some, there are some theories that this is a web where she's basically like a spider in space and she's just catching these uh, ships that happen to go through the wormhole or whatever it is that they're going through, right? The time, the, the distance jump. Um, because I remember Susie said that she, before they went to the jump, she said, I actually found a shortcut mm. right she was like we can go through here so it right. seems that she had changed the directions a little bit before they right. went so who's to know and some people their other theory is that archangel that was the name of the program the mm. one that puts you through the jump maybe archangel is like the one sending people over <laughs> there you know what i'm saying like i don't know but um yeah it's just um it, it was just interesting to to kind of figure out um, as far as the aliens' motivations, right? Right. Um, is it the fact that this is maybe this is a, a, a alien being that is stuck there mm -hmm. um, and is kind of bringing comfort? I mean, it's such a hellish place, right. and so maybe that is their her way of. I'm assuming it's a her or him or devoid of uh, gender. Maybe the creature is giving these uh, simulations. Uh, to the people who get caught in there as a form of comfort because the reality is just too yeah. whatever. And then, of course, there's another... I sort of feel like it's two things. I think two things can be true. I think she is trying to give comfort mm -hmm. to the people that are caught in there, but I also think that she's probably feeding on them too. Hmm. She's lonely herself. Yes. She's feeding off their life force or yes. off of something. Yeah. yeah, because that's how spiders mm -hmm. feed, right? And, so, and then when you see how emaciated he is, and I was just like, wait a minute, how is he... How is it? And then I, the other question I had is, how is he breathing in space? Mm. That was something that I was asking. And I was like, because clearly they're in space. There's not, they're not protected. They're not like inside anything, unless the, the hive, because the hive seems to be alive. Right. Like you saw the tentacles moving or whatever. Maybe it's providing oxygen, because I know you mm. can't breathe in space right. as a human, which again makes me wonder if that's, if he's really dead. Right. Or maybe it's, a, I think maybe the answer is that they're in this in-between space. There's an in-between life and death. It definitely felt like a purgatory to yes. me of some kind. It wasn't heaven, it wasn't hell. Yeah. And it definitely in, implied maintenance of some kind. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. She's kind of like this galactic maintenance person that's <laughs> trying to keep everybody just alive enough Yeah. Um, to, I guess, feed. Right. Because there were other ships, because you saw that there were other ships in this caught in this web in this yes. cosmic web mm -hmm. and i didn't catch this um in the beginning of the episode when they were about to go through that portal there were ships that went before them and there were ships after them so they were in line mm -hmm. so you see a line of ships and it's mm -hmm. just like well what happened it was the ships that went before them did they get caught as well and the the ships that were after them because you know time you know is different right. so i i mean it, it it i think this is a excellent way of uh writing and answering questions but leaving some questions well, you, you know and, what i mean and, and you gotta give them some leeway because it's only mm. 15 minutes it's right only but some and they manage throughout this series they manage to put so much into mm. 10 to 15 minute episodes listen i've seen there are episodes of love death and robots that are better than some two hour 
movies that have spent $200 million. And I'm like, yeah, I can't even tell a story. I will say right now, mm -hmm. um, helping hand is better than gravity. Fight me. Yeah, listen, <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. Can we talk about helping hand? Because helping I was just like. Helping hand was wild. I was like, get out of here. For, oh, it, was, it was great. Even though I was a little upset. Because so we got the scientist. She's on. She's out in the space station. Mm -hmm. She's trying to do some repairs. And my first thought, I can't lie. I was yeah. like, why isn't she tethered to something? Because in every mm -hmm. one of those movies, they the first thing they do is hook themselves onto. Yes. They anchor themselves in some way to the space station mm -hmm. or the satellite. So they don't float away. Right. Um, but she didn't have none of that. She mm -hmm. went out there. She's doing the repairs. She wasn't tethered? She was on tethered that's oh, how she, that's how she got knocked off so easily oh. i was like wasn't it like it looked like it was like some nail or it was like a yo, pin that was floating in it space it was a nail a screw it looked like a screw it was a screw she was literally screwed she was literally screwed <laughs> <laughs> i love a it screw punctured her suit yeah. and just created havoc yeah um it cut her oxygen supply and mm. then um i forget what caused her to be separated from the actual um mm -hmm unit but right. then she's she's floating off right in space away from her away from, from her ship from, from what she's repairing mm -hmm. and you're thinking okay well there's time for her to get rescued mm -hmm. and she she radios in and they're like we'll be there in 58 minutes right <laughs> and then you see on her uh the the display of her space suit it says 14 minutes 14 and she minutes. of course she's like oh damn she's like you guys are not gonna get here in time nope. and so she closes off the radio because the guy i guess he's trying to comfort her but i mean what can you say to somebody where it's like uh 58 minutes but i got 14 minutes left of oxygen right and so she is just like fuck and then she screams into the void. Yes. I felt that so much. Just I'm like, who can hear you, you scream in space? She's I'll literally listen. floating out there, no attachment. And and it's crazy mm. that it makes you think about distance. Yes. You know, like something that's it's only 10 feet away here, it's mm -hmm. nothing. But right. in the vastness of space with no gravity, mm. just to get there right. takes so much effort. And, and yeah. So much effort. And she's like, how can I propel myself? So mm. then she's like, and then she has the Sandra Bullock moment. She's like, well, you know what? I'm not going to give up. So yeah. Screw it. So she yeah. ties off her arm mm -hmm. and then she takes off her sleeve. The glove and, of, the, you know, of the space suit. It's some, she sciences the shit out of it. Yeah. I love it. So she she throws the glove, the, the sleeve to, mm -hmm. in, in the opposite direction of the to ship. To propel herself. To propel her and the other towards the ship, which mm -hmm. I thought was brilliant. Yeah. And of course, you know, space is freezing. Yes. So when she takes off the glove, we see her arm just, literally just freeze up. It was like Snowpiercer. Yeah. Stuck the arm out. Yes, that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, damn. And you could see, like, it was painful. Like, she was screaming, right. but she's right. focused. She's like, listen, yeah. I it's either freezing arm or die. Or die. Mm -hmm. So she starts floating, and like so many movies that mm -hmm. you've seen, they get close to the PlayStation, and they're inches away. And, and she almost, misses it. And she just misses it. And you're mm -hmm. just like, ah, no. Wow. And then it's like, okay, what are you going to throw now? Like, can you throw your boot? Are you about to sacrifice your foot? Are you about to Kunta Kinte? <laughs> so, I'm done. <laughs> she's like, she looks. She just looks at her arms. Like, well, it's already frozen. Right. Um, this part, that, that chick is gangsta. Yo, she and, and it was like, um, what was the movie where, where the dude sawed his arm off? To uh, it was it was stuck between rocks. It was um oh 20, 127 hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like that, but fast forward, like amplified on crack. So yes. she's like, listen, I ain't got one hundred twenty four hours. I got fourteen minutes. Yes. So she proceeds. To pull to off her own arm, the her, frozen arm, and it's like those lines in the in the, in the, in the <laughs> stories where they said, "I'm gonna take you, tear your arm off, and beat you with it." Yes, like she literally, she literally tore did her that. arm off. Like she, you see her, like she raises her knee, mm -hmm. and then she kind of 
positions her arm around her knee, and then you see her pull. First, she twists it. Yeah, she has to break it. She first. has to break it first, and then she pulls it off. And then, luckily, because it's frozen, we don't see any blood. Right. But I can't even imagine the levels of pain. Because I was thinking at first, I was like, "Well, did she feel any? Does she Hell feel it yeah, frozen?" Hell yeah, she felt that. <sighs> Hell, because you think I think it's bone, it's muscle, it's tendon, it's sinew. Like uh-huh. even though it's frozen, you still right feel all that. Right. So she rips her arm off and throws that to give herself momentum to float back towards the ship. And the f- crazy thing is, they don't let you. They even let you see if she's made it or not. Because right. at first it looks like she missed it again. I'm I like, thought so. Nah. so. I'm like, nah, son, I lost my arm and I still can't get it on the ship. And then, you know, they cut to the scene where she's sitting in the pod and she's calling into them and she's tied off her arm and they're like, yo, mm-hmm. do you still need us to come get you? She's like, nah, I got it. I'm good. Just keep some beers chilling for me. And he literally asked her, do you need a hand? And she was like, funny, you should ask. <laughs> I, I, I just love the story. Again, it's, it's a self-contained story, but you see the intelligence and like the the self-reliance of this woman like this is a really smart woman mm-hmm. um no man came to save her mm-hmm. um and i really loved um there's definitely references to uh to gravity mm-hmm. um i loved at the beginning of the episode i, I caught this there was a, a easter well not an easter egg but it was mm-hmm. sort of like an homage to aliens oh when right, she right, calls right. in the beginning of the episode where she was like i'm calling in from satellite lv426 oh. which is the same name of the planet in aliens talk, and i was like talk nerdy to me talk <laughs> nerdy to me Rebecca. and i was like oh, yes i love it i love it <laughs> and um, um the other episode i really liked too that i wanted to talk about real quick was um self-reliant women in space uh-huh. is lucky 13 oh yes i love samaya wiley yeah oh, so samara samaya riley you, mm-hmm. you remember her from Pusey mm-hmm. in orange is the new black she's also in the handmaiden's tale um and so she is again in the future and so she is like an upstart fighter pilot and she's been assigned uh this rescue ship pilot ship called uh 13 mm-hmm. um it, well the, and what's interesting is that the numbers on the ship start with 13, end with 13, and when you add them all together, they're 13, right? right. So the backstory with this ship is that the p- previous pilots that had that had flown this ship all died. Yeah, two Him, crews. Two, two crews. Two crews died. The, the pilots and the crews all died, and you see when they're, like, washing out, that you see arms, like, decapitated <laughs> heads and arms just, and whatever, and they're like, oh, hey, mm-hmm. here's your ship. Right. And then she's like, oh, great. You know what I mean? But what I love about, I mean, the, the thing about Lucky 13 is that um, I'm wondering if there was a. Sp- uh, I mean, Samira's a great actress. There's, there's, there's no debating that. Um, what I did find interesting about Lucky Thirteen is that for me, as a black woman watching it, um, number one, you know, to have a story centered on a woman like that, like she's this badass fighter pilot, right? So she, she takes this ship, and what's interesting is that she and the ship create this partnership yeah. where she ought, was it like nine missions. Without fail, she nine or ten. She was basically the red tails of this unit. Yeah, she's red, yeah, and she be and so they nickname the ship Lucky Thirteen because now they know if you're coming, if she's coming to save you, you're gonna get out of there. Mm-hmm. It seems like they're in some intergalactic war with some aliens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was interesting to see her kind of create this um, relationship because it seems to me that that ship was sentient. I yes. think that's why people weren't realizing yes. is that that ship was sentient, and I think the relationship that Samira's character had with the ship, which is probably why she 
like debted the other cruises, they probably didn't treat her right. That ship mm. is a woman, mm. okay? That ship is a woman where she was like, well, you don't treat me right. Well, I ain't going to treat you right either. Right. Whereas from start, you saw Samira cared about this ship in a way, almost treated her like she, you saw her washing her, painting her. But even caring. she had to come to that because right. she didn't initially... She kind of cheated her like a ship initially, too. Mm -hmm. And her co-pilot was the one that told her, no, these ships have personalities. Yes. And then they cut to the ship actually watching them. Mm -hmm. You can see from the green. That the camera. That's the ship watching and listening to their conversation. Mm -hmm. So then she came to grow the attachment and see it as more than just a ship. Right. After running the the missions and seeing how people treated her. Right. Because she had... The bad reputation. Remember her mm-hmm. first flight, mm-hmm. the pilots were saying, oh, you know what we're in, right? You know what ship we're on. Oh, this isn't a ship. This is a coffin with wings. Mm-hmm. And when she heard that and realized that this is how they saw the ship and she's the rookie, yeah, it kind of, they formed this kinship. And yeah. then they had, you know, went on this run of like 10, mm-hmm. before the Lucky 13 was sarcastic. Now it's... <laughs> Thir- yeah, they were like, like, don't go on that don't ship. Don't go on that ship. It's not, it's not lucky. It's very unlucky. But then yeah. it's like legit lucky. She's tattooing the name on her. And, and, and what other thing is, it wasn't that the ship was 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 lucky. Mm. She was a very great pilot. And I and I that was mm. so important because mm-hmm. I think I was like, listen, you got this black woman as this fighter pilot. Please don't make it look like she's not capable. Right? No, she's a dope ass pilot yeah. and she's a dope ass fighter. And I think the ship saw that too. Yes. And so. When, so when I think about the fact that the ship, even though that the ship was sentient, mm-hmm. and I do feel that the ship was a woman, mm-hmm. to me it was really more of a metaphor about how we, um, it, particularly this is a military, this is the military, mm. right, on how we undervalue women mm. and that we, um, we we don't expect much right. of them. And I think Samira and that, sh- and that ship had that in common. You know, you know what I mean? When she did that maneuver when they were out of ammo, yes. and she flipped upside down yes. and dropped the chaff layers into the <laughs> other plane's cockpit, I'm yes. like, yo, yes. she is walling right now. But yeah. I loved it because yeah. you knew that it wasn't, like she was, she knew her shit. Yes. And she knew how to get out of situations. And, and, mm. It's interesting that it was she. She was a rescue pilot, mm-hmm. and it was more defensive. It wasn't yes. even that she had a gunner, mm-hmm. but her goal was to go and get and escort or get people out, out of, of there, out of hot zones. Yes, but she still had mm-hmm. an offensive mindset. Yes, you know, so she wasn't just like a black woman. <laughs> because when I think again, I'm sorry, I do have to put that in there. Is mm-hmm. like it really is. Let's let's think about the state of. The, where we are in our country right now. Mm. The front line of defense right now are black women, mm-hmm. right? When we think about the 2016 election, 94% of black women who voted voted against Trump. Right. Let's make him the evil alien, okay? They were like, you're not coming up in here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and meanwhile, you got dudes out there now talking about they're going to vote for Trump if they don't get reparations from Democrats. I'm there like, you go. Really? There you really, go. Really, dudes? Really? And so, to me, it was just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I was like, Samira's just doing what her genes are telling her to do. You know mm. what I mean? That is really what black women do is that we put ourselves out there and we're safe. Because think about who she's saving. Most of those soldiers are white dudes. You right. know what I'm saying? Right. And so it was just like, I'm not saying it's a racial allegory, but I'm saying that I, I do think I'd be very interested to find out when they were casting this mm. if they if that, that was something that they had in their mind. Because like you said, the, the pilot who initially tells her mm. that the ship has value is an Asian man, right? Yep. And when we think about those two demographics about black women and Asian men and how 
um, society devalues them, mm-hmm. right? Uh, society sees Asian men a certain way, that they're not really manly, they're not this, they're not that, right? And then she's a black woman in the military, and I'm sure I can't even imagine what they're thinking. Right. You know what I mean? And the two of them partner together, like he's mm-hmm. sort of like her sense, you know, like her guide right. um, in a way, and they become like this unstoppable force, which right. really shows a, another thing, and that kind of ties in when, we, when we, we'll talk about us, is that when you give people opportunities and when you give them resources that it lets them thrive right you know what I mean and that they're able to succeed because I I do think that her superior um or her commanding officer yeah he gave her that shitty plane Mm -hmm. but I think deep down I think he knew that Samira could do it right you know what I mean because he was like okay so we haven't had (laughs) any (laughs) luck with the two previous private but I think maybe he saw something in Samira's character where you like I think this is the team up that we need you know what I mean and so they it it was just really beautiful to kind of see like this this relationship between this woman and this machine because usually when you see movies about women and machines the the relationship isn't that symbiotic right right? you know usually we're uh, become victims of Hmm. technology if you think about it but in this one it was like no we're we're kind of fusing together. together you know what I mean and again um you can think about if, if you look at the ship as a metaphor for social media how black women have used social media hmm. to build these platforms hmm. and to build these these uh activism like the creators of black lives matter are three hmm. black queer women black hmm. and brown queer women like we've been seeing how black women and women of color have been using social media and technology to amplify their voices right. in in you know previous places where they were where they were silent right. you know what i mean so Absolutely. i i really like lucky so, yeah, 13 that was definitely a dope episode yeah so yeah what other, where do you want to go next um well we're, we're well, let's talk about two of the other episodes we really liked suits cuz cuz we were talking about how they can um, about how you know a lot of these shorts are able to pack in 15 minutes of storytelling yep. with suits I was just sitting there like it felt like a whole ass movie yes it, it did. really did it gave you all the drama it gave you all the suspense and the yeah. tension they didn't spend a lot of time setting things up you knew from, from the jump what was going on these are these farmers and mm-hmm. they got these mech suits and they've got these monsters that are eating their cattle mm-hmm. and and you get the impression that this is something that they're used to. Yeah, a portal will open up, a couple of them will come through, we'll kill them, and we'll, get, we'll keep it moving. Mm-hmm. And you get the little pockets of their lives. His boy has given him this scarecrow mm-hmm. that he doesn't know what the hell to do. He's like, I can't move it. We're going to have to move. <laughs> you know. And then you got this, it's an interracial couple to start. You know, Which I loved. You know, It was just like, oh, here. And it was unremarkable. Unremarkable right? it wasn't, There was no, it was yeah. just, this is who he, they were married to. Mm-hmm. So he's out there, and he realizes, wait a minute, this isn't your run-of-the-mill everyday swarm mm. of mm-hmm. bugs you mm-hmm. know this is this is a real deal so then you see the community mobilizing to help each other yeah she's back at the at the, at the base or the or the farm mm-hmm. she's trying to get people um getting help to right. come out and also get everybody inside to safety and she's reporting back to him and he's like well she's like well you're not gonna get but two people he's like just the three of us out here and then he mm-hmm. had the, uh, I forget her name mm-hmm. who was um, the older woman who was like the old ornery pilot yes <laughs> you know? I loved her she was so much fun and you got these three different personalities you had yeah. kind of like the straight laced guy but then yeah. you had the ornery old woman and then you had like the goofy neighbor yeah. who was like he loved his mech he was mm-hmm. like I'm the Da Vinci of, of, of this you know yes. I do style and, and, and functionality you yeah. know and, and I, I think the thing I loved about Suits is that it was they kind of meshed two different genres 
together that that I don't think you see is the fact that these are like you know again I'm I'm talking media wise right mm -hmm. when we portray um, farmers or country folk right we just mm -hmm. think that they're simple minded right. or whatever but no like they're just like badass mech right. pilots and I was like what <laughs> you know what I mean and so I kind of like just the fact that this was taking place on a farm like right. that's not anything that I would ever That's think about. That's a great juxtaposition, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. I, I really thought that the storyline, the pacing was quick, um, and I cared about each and every character. I was yeah. like, oh, I don't want you to die. I don't right. want, I, I hope everything is okay. Um, and then, of course, we get the twist at the end when we, you know, they defeat these bugs, mm -hmm. but we find out that this farm that they lived in, they're <laughs> actually living on a planet. Right. Like, with pockets of these creatures just getting ready to yeah so them. they live it's sort of like a, they're they're in a bubble Do right yeah, these domes it's on a the dome planet, and right? so they're, they're constantly having to fight these aliens these like, bugs that penetrate mm -hmm. right or whatever and it was just like because remember there's a line where he was like oh yeah quit your job and become a farmer they said <laughs> so i'm guessing it's some sort of um it's some sort of program incentive program incentive right. program to colonize these planets but like okay so i've got all this farm and all this land right. but i gotta deal with like but that's their normal right you know what I'm you saying? You got auto cannons by your house, and it's just what? like everyday run of the mill stuff. And yeah, then, it was just so great how they built the tension. It was like when mm -hmm. you know Game of Thrones when they lit the, lit the lit the torches for for help, and who's coming to our aid? Who's coming to aid? No, nobody's coming. Oh shoot! So then they're fighting, and they had the reload. It reminded me of um, Matrix um, Revolutions when they're yes. trying to defend the dock. And, and, you know, I reload, reload. And then they're waiting <laughs> to reload. And his boy is over there trying to reload his. And he's got the precision laser cannon. And it's taking long, but it's taking longer for, um, for him to reload. And then finally he comes out and he, he you know, they, yeah. they, instead of retreating, he's fighting them off. He's like, take that, take that, take that. And, I like this character. And then they overcome him. And yeah. then he's just at that moment. It's like every movie, like from Independence Day. Somebody has you to know, sacrifice Someone themselves. sacrifices themselves for the yeah. greater good. And he's like, just tell my wife I died good. And <laughs> he, 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 he um, blows his core yeah. and wipes them all out. He's like, I'm going to clear the road for you. I, mm. I swear, it was almost like, damn, it damn near is like the farmer dude. Wasn't the dude a crop duster in Independence Day? I think so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I definitely the, see, yeah. 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 I yeah. was like, okay. Um. Okay. But, you know, I'm going to cut off now. I'm going to go. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Spectrum Lounge. You can find Jerry L. Barrow on Twitter at JL Barrow. You can also find host Rebecca Theodore Vachon at Film Fatale underscore NYC. You can help support the Spectrum Lounge by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash film fatale underscore NYC. Thank you for listening. Until next time. <laughs>